When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> the transfer window is part of the Daily Record Podcast Network. Subscribe at iTunes or Audio Boom. Good day. Welcome to the podcast that makes you smart, entertaining and attractive to the opposite sex or even the same sex, whatever tickles your fancy. Yes, the transfer window might be closed, but the transfer window podcast is most definitely open for business. I'm Henry McRae and I'm joined by transfer window regular Duncan Castles. It's an international week, so we've added an international flavour to this week's podcast. And we are joined by a man who spends his days covering one of the hottest, if not the hottest, European football nation at the moment. And who would have thought a few years ago that I would be talking about Belgium? But here we are. So here it's a hearty welcome to Christophe Terreur, who is the Premier League correspondent for Belgian newspaper, which we will translate to call the latest news because I really don't have the, the Belgian accent to do it. Um, he's just published an article on the dailyrecord.co.uk about Kevin De Bruyne and whether letting him go from Chelsea was Josie Mourinho's biggest mistake. So, Christoph, welcome to the podcast. Was he Josie's biggest mistake, or what do we think about it? He might have given him a few more chances than he had, but it's it's difficult in football to find a scapegoat for for decisions. And I've always had the feeling that Kevin really pushed for the move. And I even know that in the... In December 2013, for instance, Kevin had a meeting with Jose and there he told him, I want to leave. Jose told him, I don't want to see you go. You're a good player. And he talked about, I will give you more chances, blah, blah, blah. But Kevin had made his mind up that he wanted to move, to move from, away from Chelsea like he already wanted in, in the summer before Jose convinced him to stay. So... He, he he had set his mind on on a move to Dortmund in the in the summer of 2013. He even had a personal agreement for five years. He had talked with Klopp about it. Klopp had told him that uh, that he was his number one to to replace Mario Götze, who would who would move to uh, to Bayern Munich in that summer, I think. So he wanted to go to Dortmund, and he's always said. If I'd followed my gut feeling and, and pushed for the move, I would have ended up at Dortmund. But he said, I haven't, I haven't pushed for the move. I, I, Jose convinced me to stay. But in the back of my mind, I was always thinking about, about Germany. So in that way, if the player then doesn't get a lot of chances after the first weeks, he's, he, he's going back to what he was thinking, moving to Germany. And that was... That was something was always on his mind, even uh, even in the back of his mind when he was playing the first uh, in the first three games for for Chelsea against Hull and Man United. And his biggest issue has always been that Jose didn't give him an explanation why he wasn't playing. But I think, as Duncan might know too, Jose never explains to players why they're not playing. So yeah, it's just uh, a lot of. Uh, just a lot of little things happen, but for me, that Germany story is has always been key. Uh, the key in the story, Dortmund, that's where everything started. He wasn't too keen on Chelsea anymore. He wanted to have stability in his life. He wanted to sign somewhere on a permanent basis and not being the serial loan player he used to be at Chelsea, where he was first bought by he was first bought from Genk in Belgium, then sent back on loan to Genk. Then he he came back. He did the preseason under Roberto Di Matteo, and then they uh, shipped him out to 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 Werder Bremen on loan too. So he was lacking a little bit of stability in his life. He didn't want to to be the guy who builds up something abroad and goes back to to Chelsea as the youngster who went out on loan and has everything to prove every summer again. And that was the key in his decision. 
Yeah, look, I think um, I think it's very easy for people to do these hindsight analysis and say, Kevin De Bruyne, one of the best players in the Premier League, Manchester City signed him for 75 million euros. Chelsea let him go for, what was it, 22 million initially. And, and then I think you, you can tell us the details of how much money they got eventually with sell-ons and loan fees, etc. But... You can't do those hindsight analysis. The, the decision to sell a player is made at the time, depending on what that player is performing, what you see his ability to be down the line, and, and what the player wants to do. And the context of that decision, which, you know, is, as Christoph details, is very much about De Bruyne wanted to leave himself. The, the additional context was that Chelsea had in their squad at that time Eden Hazard, Juan Mata, they just signed and Andre Schürrle for a large fee from Germany, um, and Oscar. So all four of those players were obviously ahead of De Bruyne for selection purpose, experience. Um, any manager is going to place them ahead of De Bruyne to start with. And then at the end of that transfer window, Chelsea gazumped the deal that Andre Villas-Boas had put in place to sign William from Anzi in Russia and took William and, so and added you know, a £30 million another attacking midfielder to that group. So De Bruyne was sixth in line um, entering that, uh, the, the, the post-transfer window season, um, in which case it's, it's hardly a surprise that he, he wasn't going to get a huge amount of chances. He would have to fight for his place, which is what Mourinho asked him to do and what Christoph explains in his, his article for the Daily Record. And for the place when he then goes and asks for a, a, a move um, in January um, Chelsea made the rational decision which was we, we take, the, take the money, we, take, we, we get a good fee for him and um, we concentrate on the more experienced um, and we think better players we have at the time for the job at hand which is to try and win the Premier League But he's clearly developed into the type of player beyond um, the, the level they expected or they would have been desperate to hold on to him. What's gone right for him since then? Well, I think at Wolfsburg he became the most important player. They made him the most important player. And that has helped him to the confidence of, of that. And he was also made for the German League at, at that point. He didn't play in the biggest club in Germany. So that he didn't come with a lot of pressure. Wolfsburg is not Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund, for instance. So he could grow a little bit in the shadow. And yeah, then he made the steps that everyone expected him to do. He played every single minute. He played in the Europa League. He, he made it step by step. And you can say now he might have made the same progress at Chelsea, but I'm not sure because he wouldn't have le had less chances, more pressure. And... Yeah, that does, does, doesn't help youngsters. Plus, he had the stability of, of being there for one and a half years. And yeah, the, he, he's a runner with, a, with lots of stamina. Germany suited him well, too. The, the way they played in Germany, he, he always said that German League really was made for him. And he discovered it over there. So he felt well uh, uh, in, in private life, too. So... Everything, all pieces fell together in Wolfsburg with a manager who believed in him, who worked on his uh, specifically on his, on his weak points, like for instance tactical uh, discipline, which there was something he didn't have uh, have a lot when he moved to Chelsea. It's normal for for a young player to lack those skills, and he played him in a central role uh, while he was, for instance, at Chelsea, he was used as, as a winger because you had a lot of uh, central players already over there and in a central role they really flourish because that's the the role he likes to play he wants to be in the center that's where he played in belgium too he started on the wing but then moved moved to the central position and yeah he wanted to be the man the main man and that was something that was not possible at chelsea although he thought he was up for the challenge at that point that he could made it into that team he made a good pre-season under Mourinho. I, uh, I saw most of the games. I even followed them in the United States. But you also have to add that at that point, Juan Mata wasn't there. Oscar wasn't there. 
and I think even Schürrle arrived uh, quite late because they they'd all played on the in the Confederations Cup earlier, so they didn't have a real preseason preseason. So that's why, for instance, De Bruyne also got his chance in the first game because the others weren't physically up to it yet. I think too, so that played too. Christoph, tell us a bit about the psychology of of De Bruyne and um, how important in his development it's been to have a, a manager who has total faith in him, as we, as I think we see Pep Guardiola at the moment in the way that he's converted him from, or he's converting him from an attacking midfielder to a, um, a midfielder who plays closer to his defenders and works in a box-to-box way. Well, Kevin is one of those guys who needs to feel confidence, who needs to feel love. Um, yeah, Kevin, sometimes it's... it's that I don't, I'm not going to say it's a difficult character, but he has, for instance, when things are not going well, his body language uh, isn't that positive. You see, you see it uh, when, uh, when, when he's not happy. You see it, he, he becomes a little bit red. He, he got the angriness in his eyes. He can't hide that he's unhappy. And maybe that played a huge part too at Chelsea where he didn't play that. Mourinho saw that too, that it couldn't hide his disappointment. I remember the the training session from the Belgian national team uh, after he, he got dropped for the European Super Cup at the end of August uh, with Chelsea. He didn't perform. He was angry. Even the national manager had to console him and talk to him. This is not the end of the world. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And he, yeah, that has changed. I think he has learned from that period at the bench at Chelsea too for that this can happen in, in, in a footballer's career, that you can't always get what you want. And in an emotional way, he has become more, uh, he's, he's become a lot calm, calmer than then in that period. Yeah, that he's become a father has helped that too. But for instance, uh, Guardiola mentioned you know, two weeks ago in his press conference, I see that Kevin is coming to the training session in a good mood too this season. It's because of he's become a father. Emotionally, he's, he's feeling very well, and that's what you see on the pitch. So everything has to be perfect for him to perform in a, in a good way, like, uh, like also in family life. If something's not going well in his family, he takes that to the club too, and you can sometimes see that. He's not the guy who can easily push things aside. Um, if everything is perfect, yeah, he can be the best player He's the best player in the Premier League, I think, at this point. Or he can be one of the best players in the world. Even, But everything has to be perfect for him. He grows in that too. He learns to forget things and, and stuff like that. He, he's a guy who easily moves on from things too. But if something isn't right, you see it. And I think at Chelsea, they might have noticed that too. Guardiola has noticed that last season too, in the beginning, when there was a small issue with him in, in his private life, uh, with the, with the, which he took to the club. But that has all changed. And in a way, he and Pep have found each other. Uh, when you hear Guardiola speaking uh, about Kevin, you hear love. When you hear Kevin talking about, uh, about Pep, you feel love. Because Kevin says, I found a manager who thinks in the same way as I think about football. Uh, they understand each other. They see the same things. And... Pep has made him important too uh, by pushing him into the in the players' council, uh, even giving him the captain's band in the last 15 minutes against uh, against uh, Feyenoord. It was, I think, and he needs to feel that he's important. And when he feels he's important, he gives you back a lot, which is the case with a lot of players, I think. Stability seems to be um, a key that, uh, theme coming through from what you're telling us. Yeah. Um, and you know, normally when you talk about players being the best player in the Premier League or uh, one of the best players in the world, then um, since we are the transfer window podcast, we should you know address the fact that that usually means someone like Barcelona or Real Madrid uh, might come to uh, spend their money on bringing them to Spain. Is is that is the stability an issue? Is such an important factor that it's the type of thing that he he would reject and in, in favour of staying where he's comfortable and happy. Well, he he and his uh, and his wife are really happy in Manchester, and he always points out that. But I don't see any challenges abroad at this point. Uh, even if Real Madrid come knocking Barcelona, he wants to stay and. 
yeah, Manchester City are already in talks with his agent about uh, about a new deal because they feel if Kevin keeps on performing like this this season and he plays a brilliant World Cup, then the Spanish top clubs will be there. Real Madrid will offer loads of money because they like those kind of players. So they're already preparing for, for giving him a, a new deal for, for five or six years. And Kevin is willing to sign that on... Uh, uh, I talked to him on, on Saturday and he repeated that he's very happy in Manchester. And if they give him a new contract, he will sign it because everything is perfect in life <laughs> at Manchester. His family is happy. He has a manager that believes in him and talks him up. And he he has he feels really well in, into the dressing room too with the, the young English guys like Stones. He gets along quite well with, with Raheem Sterling too. He feels really well in, the, in that dressing room too. So he doesn't see a challenge somewhere else at the point. And I think he might sign a new deal in a, in a few months at, at City. So. Okay, well, he's not the only... Uh... Belgium, who might be linked with some of the big uh, clubs in Spain, especially. Obviously, Eden Hazard um, is, is another one um, who didn't fare so well at the weekend in the clash between Manchester City and Chelsea, where City uh, really put in probably the performance of the season so far, it could be argued. Certainly dominated that that clash. Um, how, would, how would that have gone down at Stamford Bridge? Well, there was some disappointment. I was there. There was some disappointment, I guess. But they they had played a brilliant game at Atletico. You can't deny that. But yeah, this wasn't this wasn't really good. Good, I think. Yeah, there was fear in the team. I think they they adapt. They were they were a little bit afraid of City. You saw that in the lineup that Antonio Conte made in my eyes. They they weren't really positive. Positive like they usually are playing more positive. They were just afraid of City. They had. City, uh, City uh, uh, countered the, the 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 game plan with yeah, the way they always play, and yeah, they were a little bit lucky that it it, it, it they that City didn't take their their chances or their last pass or yeah, they were they were nowhere certainly not after 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 Morata's injury and when Conte decided to bring on William who. Uh, for instead of Bachuai uh, for Morata, which wasn't the best decision if you see uh, how William performed. He was really nowhere. And Eden Hazard, as a, as a striker against that team, they were they were pumping long balls to him. But yeah, he's not Didier Drogba, not in uh, not in the way he plays and not in in, in the way he, his body is shaped. So he was struggling over there too. So. And in the end, they were all very disappointed. Although they think they still might have a have a challenge for 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 the title if they are lucky. I th- I think um, watching that game, I think I've got to say it's the most impressive managerial performance I've seen from Guardiola in his time in England. In that he obviously did his homework brilliantly on Conte's um, formation way of playing and he set up his team in an unusual unpredictable fashion um, with very limited resources because he just lost Mendy for the season and Aguero um, to a rib injury and and it worked perfectly um, and I was talking to another Premier League coach about it and he described the tactics that, that Guardiola used as audacious and, and I think that's exactly it he realized that if he tried to play them defensively in the classical way of sitting back, that would suit Chelsea. Um, instead, he, he played to keep the ball as much as possible in the Chelsea half. He, he spotted that, um, that Conte was setting a system up differently this year. He's not playing the 3-4-3 the, the three, three of, of last season. It was so ex- effective. He now has Hazard um, in a two with uh, Morata playing centrally and to try and sort of create an attacking diamond when they have possession in the midfield. And then he used Fabian Delph in a very specific role to drop in in front of Hazard to block the passing on the counter um, if Chelsea managed to get the ball. And it, it was really high risk, really high risk to play that way. And I think Guardiola talked about it himself in the press conference afterwards about how 
you know, you, one mistake, and you, when you play that high up and with so many players forward, you can get killed for it. But it worked. Um, and I, the other interesting thing for me is it demonstrated for a second time in the Premier League that in a match where the opponent comes up with a tactic that Conte did not expect, he's not been able to respond. It was very similar, very different style of tactic, but very similar to when Manchester United beat Chelsea in the second half of last season with a very unusual formation that Conte had no response to during the game. And he had no response on Saturday and, and came away, you know, you, you, you looked at him as he talked about that match. He looked you know, very disappointed, almost, you can't use the word broken, but very down. Um, and and that, those kind of results have a big effect in the season. You know, the, the, the morale of the players, the belief in what they're going to do, um, it's certainly going to be a major fill-up to Manchester City to go to a game like that with limited resources, play that way and win. You must spend quite a bit of time um, in and around Stamford Bridge, Christoph. What, do you detect a, a, a change of mood um, this year? There's been, you know, it was a traumatic uh, off-season with lots of speculation about the coach. Are the are the players happy there? Well, most of them are still happy over there, but they became worried too at a certain point also because, for instance, they saw that Conte wasn't happy uh, at all. They see that in training sessions too. They also saw that their team at a certain point wasn't really strengthened while they had expected to, to, to make a step forward this season. At a certain point, yeah, they lost a lot of players too in, in January and those guys were never replaced. Only the guys who left at the end of, se- of the season were replaced. They didn't think the squad was, uh, was as big enough uh, as they uh, as they expect to challenge in uh, in three competitions, so they aren't as confident confident as they were uh, last year in October, November when they had that that, that brilliant period uh, in the Premier League where they won every single game. Uh, I think they also saw Manchester United or Manchester City that they spent it big on good and experienced players. And yeah, they they saw that they got players that they were not sure if Morata is a good signing. Bakayoko had proven uh, proven his point already in Spain, but still he was the second choice in Real Madrid and not the first choice striker at the Juventus. So someone they had you you need to be patient with. So yeah, they weren't as confident confident uh, as last. Uh, as last season, that's something you see on the pitch too. Certainly, because last year they did have a thing without European uh, football. They just played League Cup and uh, FA Cup, which isn't that that uh, that difficult between uh, between brackets brackets for 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 an English team. But they ha- had to cope with less games, and this season they will have to play a lot. And certainly with Conte's style of training too, always very hard physical sessions. It might turn against them too at a certain point. With injury, they were lucky with injuries last season too. That's what they know too. So they are, they are not as confident. Uh. Well, um, obviously we, we spoke about De Bruyne and, and possible interest from bigger clubs overseas and Real Madrid were, have, have been heavily linked with Eden Hazard. Do we, can we see that storyline re-emerging in the January window or more likely next summer? Well, it will always come back since uh, as long as Zidane is the manager of Real Madrid, it will always pop up. But I think Chelsea are trying to convince him to sign a new deal too. So uh, we'll see. Uh, as I think if he hadn't injured himself uh, at the end of last season uh, during the, the international uh, period with Belgium, it might have happened Already, maybe that has slowed down everything. Also, the rise of Asensio has slowed down everything. But they, they don't need Hazard at the moment, I think. But he will always be linked and they will be always always be sniffing around him. Zidane will, will, will call him, I think. Uh, the, the general manager of uh, Real Madrid will keep in touch with his people. But for him, it's also if he performs well in the World Cup, if he's the star of the World Cup, it it might still happen 
even if Chelsea tie down to, to a new contract. But on the other hand, with him, it's the same as for a lot of Belgians. He's uh, he's very happy in uh, he's very happy in uh, in London. He likes life in Cobham. He doesn't like the the the, the limelight, so he's happy in there in the shade of Cobham. His kids are going to school, uh, speak better English than him. So that's important for him to his family life. So that will play an important role too if he will ever move to Real Madrid. For him, I think this summer it will be a now or never too for him because because he becomes, if they ever come, he becomes 27. So uh, it's now or never. Oh, it's choosing between Real and Chelsea till the end of his career, I think. So we'll see what happens if he signs that new contract or not in the in the coming weeks or months. Yeah, look, I think with Real Madrid, you've got, you, there's a, something you've got to factor in, which is they didn't get the big transfer this summer um, because uh, PSG stole Kylian Mbappe off them. So it, you, it's a fairly good bet that the next summer they're going to be doing something spectacular in the transfer market, as they generally do. And as they would have done, they would have done this summer if if their plans had come to fruition. And you've also got to take account of the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo wants to leave. Um, that situation hasn't changed. He's pushing for a move. He's looking to find the club that will take him. And if Cristiano Ronaldo leaves, then one, Real Madrid have a lot of extra money to spend, and two, they have a hole in the squad where someone like Eden Hazard, someone like Kevin De Bruyne, could could fit into it'll be that category of um, talented uh, potential next world superstar that they'll go for. Okay, um, Chelsea weren't the only team interested uh, or interested in Hazard when when he decided to move to England. Obviously, Manchester United were uh, also in the race for his signature. Didn't get that one, but uh, did get quite a significant. Uh, Belgian signing this summer who is uh, scoring a lot of goals and uh, another Belgian uh, at Old Trafford seems to be flourishing under the management of Jose Mourinho. So what can you tell us about the uh, Belgian scoring genius and uh, Marwan Fellaini, Christoph, which, how, are they, uh, how are they taking to life under Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford? Well, they're all enjoying it very much. So Lukaku is very happy. He wanted to make, yeah, he was really focused, focused on making his point and not missing his start at Man United because he knew everyone was watching him uh, after after they paid uh, £75 million for him. And he doesn't miss his start. He keeps on scoring. He misses sometimes a chance, but you will always have that with him. And he feels very well with, with uh, in, in the dressing room. He didn't have... He didn't need one period of adaptation. He, he got in like he was playing there for years. So he feels happy. And yeah, Fellaini yes, has been happy, very happy since Jose is there. I've he hit the phone call of Jose uh, Mourinho uh, last, I know, two summers ago, convinced him that this manager believes in him. And they came closer in the last uh, in the last uh, months, even when uh, when fans booed him. Jose protected him, and in a way, as I, everyone knows how Mourinho works, and I know Fellaini uh, pretty well. I knew they were going to be a match in heaven because he's a guy who listens to the manager, does everything uh, he asked. He's he's always fully uh, fully committed in training, two hundred percent, runs a lot, trains a lot, never complains. And he's the ideal squad player with a specific profile. So, and Jose uses him in the way he likes to be. Used. Sometimes as a defensive midfielder, sometimes as a second striker. He likes that variation uh, in his game too. And yeah, they found each other even without telling a lot of words. They found each other. And yeah, I don't think uh, they will let him go that easily because his contract is uh, running down. I expect that they're going to offer him a new deal, something no one would have ever expected if you said this uh, two years ago, I think. Uh, Fellaini will stay longer than five years at, uh, at United. They would, have, they would have sent you to, to, to the psychiatric clinic, I think, uh, at that point. So, uh, yeah. 
Henry, Henry being one of the individuals who would have liked to have sent you very quickly. <laughs> well, I have said that I, I watch him uh, through the gaps between my fingers when uh, when Fellaini's on, on the field. But, you know, there's no denying that he's uh, he's having an impact. How, how is he seen in Belgium? How did Belgian football fans view Fellaini? <laughs> the same as in England. Some, it's loving or hating him. There's no... There's no way in between love and hate. You love him or you hate him. So. <laughs> and who would be, you know, give us a little insight into, you know, who the favourite players are. Is De Bruyne the, the star or is it is it Hazard or is it Lukaku? Uh, well, but yeah, I can. If yeah, the Flemish part is the biggest part in Belgium, they really like Dries Mertens, for instance, because he's a cheerful character and Kevin De Bruyne. That are the main characters. Eden Hazard is uh, very popular in the in the French part of the country, but not in the Flemish uh, part because yeah, no one really knows him in Belgium. He doesn't appear in television shows uh, in Flemish part. He was he went to to France uh, when he was thirteen, fourteen years old. French competition, a uh, French league has never been really followed followed in the in the Flemish part of of Belgium too. So. He's quite an unknown person, has it? It's it's weird. He's our biggest Belgium in the world. Everywhere you go, everyone mentions Hazard, even in Indonesia or in Bali. When you talk to someone, they say and you say you're Belgium. Oh, Eden Hazard. But in Belgium, sometimes I feel he's lacking the respect he gets uh, everywhere else. So Thibaut Courtois is quite popular in Belgium in, in the in the Flemish part too. But that's also mainly because those guys have played in the Belgian league before. And Hazard has has never played in Belgium, so that that didn't help his popularity either. But he's still more popular than, for instance, uh, like let's say Fellaini, or or we tell those guys aren't really popular. Popular, it's yeah. As it always is, attacking players are always quite popular. So, what else would you interesting? Yeah, Christoph, just to just to ask you. Um, I think I think any everyone would agree that Fellaini's now playing the best football he's done his time at Manchester United by a significant margin. The confidence in his game is is really impressive, and he's probably for me he looks looks better than he was even when he was the top player at Everton. Um, have you been surprised at how well Lukaku has done and how how much he's improved on the pitch? in his first few weeks at Manchester United because to me he looks almost a different player. He's, he, was, he was a guy, for me, he wasn't very good at build-up work, wasn't very good at bringing other guys into the game, would get caught offside too often. But now he's, um, he's a team player. He's, a, he's contributing in areas which I didn't see him contributing before and he looks far more mature to me than previously. What's, what's your sense of that as someone who's well, watched yeah, him I, closely? Well, as... I've seen him made, uh, he made small steps in the last few years, like his build-up play already became better under Martinez, for instance, when there were flo- still still flaws in his game. Then Kuman worked with him last season in a different way, making him a little bit more direct too. Uh, but I'm surprised by him too. I, I, I thought he would need more time to adapt to, uh, to Man United, but maybe it's being in another in an, uh, another environment to uh, where he wants to be, being really focused because that's what I hear from a lot of people who know him that he's really focused, focused on performing well. And um, yeah, it's I think it's his mindset is the is the most important thing. He could always do those kind of things. He had made progress in his build-up play in his in the in his running too. But maybe because he's so focused and his mindset is so good and he's finally working under the manager. He always wanted to work under they had the disagreements when they, they were playing when he was playing at Chelsea, but it's always been exaggerated too uh, in in the in the media. He he knows he can't fail uh, at the big podium now and that makes him so good at this point, I think his focus. It's just the focus. And yeah, look at what, one one thing I, I did. I mean, I asked, I made a point of asking Mourinho's guys just after they got him in America and had him for a few weeks training there, what the difference was between Lukaku that they'd worked with at Chelsea because obviously they'd worked together there and 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 they decided to loan him out 
and maybe you can tell us the story of exactly why they decided to loan him out. Um, but they, they were very clear that he was a completely changed individual, far more mature. Um, they thought better, just a, just a different football altogether when they got him. And, and this was after making the decision to buy him. So they were, the, 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 the product that arrived after purchasing him, if you like, on the training field, they immediately said, no, this is, this is better than we expected, which I found interesting. Yeah, because he's a, he 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 cut his move that he wanted already for three years, uh, being important at a top club, showing himself in the Champions League, and I think that is the main point. He's always been very ambitious, and sometimes, even when he was young, I think maybe he was sometimes overestimating himself or overestimating his qualities. Afterwards, after he left Chelsea. Uh, he said that too. Maybe I was too eager. Maybe I didn't see uh, didn't see that I still had some uh, some uh, some let uh, some some weak points in my game. And yeah. he started to realize that too, and that he had to work harder on it. And yeah, you, we all know what happened after after the European Super Cup, where he missed that penalty the day after he put in a transfer request and he pushed for a move. So. Yeah, uh, he felt that he wouldn't be first or second choice. Jose had told him that he wouldn't be, although he had hoped that after a good preseason with Chelsea, where the other strikers weren't performing, so he got back to reality at that point. I'm only third choice, maybe even fourth choice. I'm not going to play a lot. Then he misses that the penalty, and then he just put in a transfer request, and that's also where a manager feels mm, this guy is not up for the challenge. So. It's a bit the same with, with the Brown and it happened in the same season. They were both young, but it was the, the clubs didn't want to let him go at that point. It was them pushing for a move because they were ambitious. Because yeah, both the Brown nor Lukaku have ever been on the bench for a long time. They they both started the Brown made his debut for, for Genk when he was seventeen. Lukaku made his debut when he was just sixteen. They've never been in a situation that they had to fight for, for, for their spot. They were at a certain point so good that they will would mm-hmm. always be playing. And then they get dragged out of that comfort zone. They're suddenly on the bench and they don't know what, how, what's happening and how to react on it. And Lukaku also, as he's a student of the game, he watches a lot of games. He's, he's, he's really focused on his progress. He saw that he needed more minutes to progress as a player. He saw, um, I, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I have to do something. And that's why he pushed for, in the first place, a transfer and then, and then a loan. And in the end, he got his transfer too because he felt when Jose signed Diego Costa uh, a year later that he would still be second choice and he couldn't live with that. He wanted to, he wanted to play. And I also think that Jose appreciated appreciated that that those guys didn't lie about that either that they were ambitious that they wanted to progress and that couldn't couldn't uh, happen as a, as a second choice I mean as a as a third choice uh, or in the Brianna's case as a sixth choice so yeah yes look when I interviewed uh, Jose what last month um, we talked about Lukaku and that was one of the points he made about Lukaku that he appreciated the fact that he was direct um, and ambitious at that time when he asked to leave Chelsea. He didn't want him to leave Chelsea, but he liked the mentality of the player then. One other thing just occurred to me, you had a very interesting interview with um, De Visser, who's a kind of shadowy figure at Chelsea, is Abramovich's right-hand man, has been responsible for for signing or scouting and then advising Chelsea to, to sign a lot of these players, including particularly the Belgians, including Lukaku and De Bruyne. And, and in that interview, he was very um, aggressive towards Mourinho and saying that he'd made a mistake in, in selling the players. We, we've discussed that. What, what I'd be interested to, th- to hear is your opinion on whether De, uh, De Visser might have been an influence on this kind of ambition and uh, belief, but maybe overarching belief that, that Lukaku and De Bruyne had. He well, was kind I, of telling them better than they were. Well, I don't think they were a lot in touch there with, with the visa. I don't know if he was often around over there either. So, but uh, Lukaku has always been ambitious. Uh, the visa 
talking to him or not. He always had that ambition, and the Brana has had that drive too. When he was a young guy, he immediately know what he wanted, and they've both had that in their character. And I don't think the Visser has helped him uh, helped him in, in that. I don't think they ever talked a lot because okay. there were also other Chelsea scouts uh, scouting those guys uh, when they were young. So I know, for instance, for a few that they barely have spoken to the Visser. So. Uh, yeah, it's just okay. someone who advises them, advises them, advises uh, Abramovich on what was happening in Belgium. He's a lot around in, in games in Belgium. That's true. You see him uh, when Chelsea are following a player. He pops up at a certain point and makes the final uh, advice to to Abramovich. I think so. So Tavisser may be over exaggerating his 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 pivotal role in the in the signing of these players. Yeah, there are also agents involved. And I, I know for sure that, for instance, Michael Emanalo is played in Belgium uh, in the early 90s, has his, his good contacts in Belgium too uh, by other people. So I, I'm sure that the Visser advised, uh, advised Abramovich, but to say that it's all his sizings, I'm not sure. He would have advised them, he scouted them and will, would have said to Roma, these are brilliant young signings, but to say that he's the main man behind all those moves, I don't think so. Agents and uh, agents and uh, sporting directors have helped in, in 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 those cases too, and just the performances of the guys too. So, okay, well, just to go back to Lukaku, obviously he's been um, welcomed with uh, open arms um, at at Old Trafford by the support who have come up with a colourful chant to. Um, which you know pays homage to not only his goal scoring attributes but also a certain part of his anatomy, which we shouldn't make light of because um you know there have been concerns about certain stereotypes. Um, you know, uh, the club have issued a request to the support to stop chanting um the 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 particular line. How's that story uh, been received by Belgian football fans and the German, uh, the Belgian media? Well, it hasn't been a big item over here. To be fair, I've only uh, I, I only started writing about it when 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 it was mentioned for a second time. I think the first time when Kick It Out uh, Kick It Out mentioned it was just a small story in a newspaper. I didn't even write it because I was thinking, is it worth all, all the fuss? People don't know it in Belgium; they haven't seen it. Then the video started popping up and. Yeah, in Belgium, there hasn't been a huge fuss about it because, yeah, some thought by those English, they are too politically correct in that way. It's just, it's just banter, like some, uh, some took it. Yeah, for me, it's just, yeah, it's people trying to be funny, but yeah, you can take offense of that. So better stop it. That's what I thought. So don't give it too much attention. That's what we did. Don't give it any attention. So. No one cares about it, but and, then suddenly and what, it got a lot of attention. I think even the attention has has made it uh, has yeah. Then it suddenly had a huge impact, and yeah, then he had to react. Then the club had to react. Then his agent reacted. I'm not sure if uh, forbidding things will uh, stop fans chanting things like that. To be fair, you know how fans are. Once they have drunk a few pints, it might happen again. So, is that is that the same in Belgium? What's the what's the fan culture like at, at Belgian clubs? Well, well, it's it's uh, it's it's not that we 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 don't uh, we don't uh, we're not that hard hard, but we we have had hard banners before, like uh, it it would have crossed the channel too. I think the 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 banner of Steven the Fool who once. Uh, was now playing at Burnley once uh, he he used to play for Standard Liège then he moved to Porto and then he moved to 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 Anderlecht the arch rival of Standard and then they uh, made a, a huge banner where where they beheaded the fool like uh, like I yeah it was just like IS propaganda with a beheaded guy <laughs> and that made a huge impact so that happens in Belgium too uh, sometimes you have quite funny sexual jokes too in in banners so yeah, in Belgium, like the one from Standard, the club just got a fine, I think, uh, and uh, one one game behind closed doors. Maybe not sure even about that. Uh, 
it happens in Belgium too, but not 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 really in Shams, but more in uh, more in Banas. So, and then you have the, the, the yeah, we're close to Holland. In Holland, they can be very hard and harsh in in Shams too. So, we're a little bit in the middle. So nobody really cares cares like they, for instance, do in England when when something could be racist. Someone uh, immediately reacts. We don't have that in Belgium, or even not in Holland. So, okay. Well, before we move on from uh, Manchester United, we've got our, uh, our transfer expert um, Duncan here, and you know we should really ask if you've got any insight into the news we've been uh, hearing or reading uh, over the last few days about Mesut Ozil um, and the fact that Manchester United are showing interest in. Uh, making a move for him. Is, have you got any insight into that, Duncan? Yeah, I think it was uh, Miguel Delaney and the Independent did a piece this week uh, saying that Manchester United were confident that they'd be able to sign um, Ozil in the summer when he's out of contract. Um, and uh, it, there's, you know, there's a certain certain logic to it in that um, it is, uh, you know, as a high quality Premier League player with experience, who's worked, who was actually one of Mourinho's uh, most important signings when he first arrived at Real Madrid. Um, I remember being in Los Angeles for that pre-season and, and sitting down with Jose and, and, and Jose telling me that they, they had the deal in place to sign Ozo, which we, we story we broke in the Sunday Times at that point. And, and yeah, Mourinho does like him as a player. Um, he's, uh, he's got that combination of creativity and tactical awareness that he likes. But um, having checked on that, the information I'm getting is that Ozil's not the player he plans to add to the team next summer. He's got a very he's already worked out which areas he wants to improve in. He, as we we discussed, um, he, he always had a, a three summer transfer window plan for Manchester United, and what he what I'm told he wants is is a player who is better than what he's got at the moment. And they don't see Ozil as being better than, than what he's got at the moment in terms of that type of central, creative, attacking midfielder. He feels he's well served in that position. And what and the, where he does want to recruit is in a, in a faster, um, wide player, so which isn't Ozil's 40. So I think it's unlikely that that will be the club that, that was almost to um, when he has his freedom of contract um, in July. Okay. Well, let's move on because um, we've been at this for a while now. Um, what other uh, Belgian players should we be talking about, uh, Christoph? You've, you've got um, Alderweireld at uh, Spurs. He's been getting linked with uh, some transfer speculation. What, what can you tell us about that? Well, he, he at this point, he doesn't want to sign a new deal. He wants, uh, you know... Everyone in English football knows how Daniel Levy works. He's not, he's not the biggest spending uh, uh, president. And Alderweireld has made two good, two good seasons at, at 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 Spurs. He knows what he can earn at other clubs. He sees what teammates like, for instance, Kyle Walker, who moved to Manchester City, what he can earn over there. He's twenty-eight. He has to think. Yeah, it's might be his last big contract. He wants the big money now. So I can understand that from a player's views. And I don't see Daniel Levy paying that. And there have been in the past some, 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 uh, some uh, I won't say little problem between, between, between him and his camp, but they haven't still offered that new contract. And that's worrying. They are worried that he, he will... Uh, that he won't offer offer the money they will get, so that's why other clubs are sniffing around. Everyone see that if a if a if a player is he's not unhappy at Spurs, he likes to work on the Pochettino. But if a big club big club knocks on the door and he can get like the double of what he's earning now at Spurs, he earns about fifty thousand pounds a week. He can earn the double somewhere else. He might push for that move and. Spurs have now signed Davinson Sanchez uh, for a lot of money through, I think, possibly too, with uh, in the back of the minds to uh, to replace Toby because they felt that 
he might be up for a move already uh, in the summer. So we'll see what happens at, at the end of the season. He still hasn't signed a new contract. They still haven't made an offer for a new contract. They are waiting. But I don't know if uh, Daniel Levy wants to do it already right now. Uh, so he's been offered everywhere. To, he was, he's already for a while on the, on the long list of, of, of Chelsea, for instance, uh, who uh, wanted to sign him in 2014. He was one of the options, uh, I think, or was it 2015, before, before, he joined, uh, before he joined Spurs. Then he was an option uh, because he could play in several positions. At Manchester City, he was on the list already in 2013, I think, but then they signed Di Michelis instead. And that, that's the reason why uh, all the world moved to Atletico in the end, uh, that because Dimichilis moved from Atletico to, to, to Man City at that point. So he's on the radar over there too. I don't know uh, if he's on Man United's radar. I'm not sure. He's been linked to them. Never had confirmation on that. But as, a, as they weren't pursuing that type of defender, I don't know if it's true. So, But he will be, he will be mentioned at, at top clubs too, certainly if he doesn't uh, sign a new deal. And I think his agents will try to, to, to work for a solution too uh, about is it a move or is it a new contract? But at this point, everything points to a move next summer. But a lot can happen uh, in between now and the end of the season. So we'll see. I think I think doubles an underestimate um, for a player of his ability. You know, we 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 both know that centre backs, top quality centre backs, is a real difficult position to recruit in. In, uh, in European football in general. His, his agents would like to hear this. Double is not enough. Triple uh, <laughs> it. Uh... Oh, if he's on less than £50,000 um, a week, uh, for a top centre-back, you, you could be looking at 150000 easily. Um, yeah. And a club like Chelsea, as you say, have been in the market for him. Liverpool are in the market for that level of centre-back. Manchester City still need another one, clearly. Um, it's not hard to get that money. If you get one of those clubs to, to move for you, it's not hard to get that money. And, yeah, and the, the only thing I will say is for, I don't think you move from, Liverpool, from Spurs to Liverpool at this point. Uh, I don't see that happening. So, uh, But yeah, they can offer more money. But is it a, is it a step, uh, step forward in a, in a football way? I don't think so at this point. So that's the one I exclude because yeah, he's been on the radar of Liverpool a few seasons ago too. They they made an offer and then yeah, that's the in the, the, the summer he signed for Atletico, but that was an agent's issue why he didn't end up uh, at Liverpool. So okay, so it's international uh, week. You've got uh, Belgium's got a couple of fixtures coming up against I think Bosnia and then at home to Cyprus. Um, you know. Duncan uh, was said earlier. I think that um, you know Belgium possibly the the hottest team in European football at the moment. We're a, we're a, a year out for the World Cup, or less than a year out from a World Cup. Is this uh, are Belgium going to mount a, a real challenge for the for the biggest trophy there is? As I always say, we're like uh, we're the continental England, so we will struggle in the second round probably, but. Uh... Yeah, it's now or never for this generation. Uh, it's now or never. Not for the Hazard, not for the De Bruyne's. They will play in, at the World Cup in Qatar two in four years. But our defence is, uh, is getting old. Company struggling with injuries, 31 years old. Vermaelen struggling with injuries, not playing anymore at Barcelona, 32 years old. Vertonghen in his 30s. All the way up getting close to the 30s. And... There's no real good backups at the moment. Like in the younger generations, we are struggling with defenders. So for, for the total balance of the team, you say it's now or never with those good defenders and this brilliant young attacking uh, talent. It has to happen now. That's what company he's given an interview uh, last week uh, in the Belgian paper too. He says it's now or never for this generation. Uh, for me, it's the last chance, uh, a big tournament. But Will they manage it into the semi-finals? Not sure. Lots will, 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 will depend on the draw too, I think. Uh, but And we will see. But the group stage now was a little bit too easy. We didn't yet. Yeah, Bosnia is not a real challenger. Greece, not a real challenger. Cyprus, Estonia, Gibraltar. That's, yeah, 
yeah, we won eight one against Estonia. We won nine 0 against Gibraltar. It's like yeah, it's not even uh, friendly games uh, anymore. It's just yeah, it's like a friendly game. They just push them aside. So we're not really seeing if they've made a lot of progress under Martinez compared with, for instance, Wilmots. The players are talking positively about Martinez about having more more yeah, working harder in the tactical way, attacking wise. How was that? Sure they work harder defensive wise. So, yeah. How was that appointment received? I mean, you know, you this uh, golden generation of players, um, a big opportunity to take them a World Cup. Martinez seemed an unlikely uh, appointment, and then you know it was uh, followed up with Thierry Henry as his assistant. Is that you know have they been embraced in Belgium, or was that, is that being questioned? Well, well, at that point, everyone thought, oh, a manager from the Premier League, whoa. Like oh, big na- uh, a name. They thought it was uh, yeah, everything was an upgrade on Wilmot. That was every- what everyone thought in Belgium. So and then you get Martinez. He was unknown, but with some decisions now uh, he hasn't made himself very popular. With uh, like for instance, uh, pushing Raja Naigolan, who's having a great time at Roma aside, he's quite popular with the fans too because he. Yeah, Lane is not the most disciplined guy. He smokes, for instance. Martinez didn't like that. He isn't the, the happiest bunny when he's on the bench. Martinez doesn't like that too. He has a bit of a neg- negative impact on the group, according to, to Martinez then. So, and Martinez, as we all know them, he talks and talks and talks and talks, but he never comes to the point. And you know, we in Belgium, we like it when a manager says, I don't select him. We want to know the reason. And he has never told the real reason for not selecting um, Nayigolan. He's always talking about focus. And yeah, everyone has heard it now. And he's not, not being honest in his press conferences. And that's what's really been chasing nowadays. He's not really popular. Like at the first training session on, uh, on, on Monday, there were, there were banners uh, to support Nayigolan against Martinez. So we'll see what happens uh, at the World Cup if he gets into the semi-finals. Everyone will be happy, but I don't think he will. He will get a second term with Belgium. Uh, we played better football, but it hasn't been wow, wow, wow. We were always good against the small sides. We 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 pushed them aside nine nine nil eight one. But like for instance in Greece, Greece and Bosnia, we we didn't convince convince, and yeah, that's what the media right too. They expect. That also in these games we would have that walkover, while yeah, in international football it barely happens because those national managers never have the time to really work tactically, tactically until uh, until the the four or five weeks uh, before a tournament. So we will only see the value of Martinez uh, in Russia, and then we will see that we will be brilliantly in attacking wise, but we will probably have uh, problems in defense. Although we have players who can might might uh, decide themselves what they do in the, in the defensive way with lots of experience, um, yeah, we'll have to see it. Christoph, Christoph, you you mentioned the defensive issues with the aging players. Just um, with my uh, my doctor Castle's hat on and in the search quest for medical information, do you do you think Vincent Company will manage to keep himself in physical condition to actually play in the World Cup finals? Well, that will uh, all depend on what happens. He he has his periods. He will have an injury, and then he will. It's never, never a big. It's never a big or 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 career career damaging injuries. Always small muscle injuries on a different on a different place. And he has to be. Yeah, he needs the right treatment, the right food. Everything has to be perfect for him to stay fit. And like for but. He doesn't help himself either, like against Gibraltar, uh, where he got injured. He got a kick on his knee. He decided to play on, and then he uh, then he forced his his calf again, which is his weak point. The calves are always it's always coming back. The calves, and now he's already out for five weeks again. While at first uh, the first diagnosis was uh, it was not from Doctor Castles, was from uh, from the Belgian medical staff. They said only one to uh, one to two days so that are really long days uh, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah he's not there. but he will try everything to to play at that world cup even on one leg he will go there he wants to make that one of his 
last career highlights for the national team and then he will uh, stop international foot quit international football and purely focus on city where where he he had convinced Guardiola to be fair with with uh, in at the end of last season staying injury free playing brilliantly being a leader Guardiola who had a lot of doubts doubts was suddenly also convinced by him and they didn't sign another center back and that's what's something they now, now might regret, I think, that they didn't sign another centre-back uh, at that point. With what happened with company just four days after? No, only two days after the transfer market closed. So so you said it's um, the coming to the end for this generation of uh, uh, Belgian players. Who are the next ones to uh, appear? Uh, you know, we, we saw Adnan Janzai um, appear uh, with a lot of promise for Manchester United. It hasn't really worked out the way uh, many of us expected. For him, is has he got a, an international future? Well, we'll have to see how he progresses at that. Sociedad is injured now, I read, I think. So he's, yeah. The problem with him is that he has, uh, he's got a manager that he didn't like at United, was Louis van Gaal. Uh, he's always played on intuition and then you get, get a manager who tries to make robots of his players. With, mm-hmm. uh, he didn't like that. He didn't like van Gaal. Then he made the, the wrong decision to go to Dortmund where he had to run a lot and he didn't like it. So he was sent back, uh, sent back to... His mentality hasn't helped him. He made some, some bad decisions uh, to, I think his mentality hasn't helped him either. He forgot, he forgot, uh, he forgot what he had to do to go to get to that level. But he, as happens with a lot of really talented players, they never have to work hard to reach that level. And suddenly, to stay on that level, you have to work hard. And if you never learned how to work hard, yeah, you might struggle. Like for instance, Hazard had had that same problem too when he was younger. But he has uh, he has picked that up. For, I have to work hard. I have to do this, this, and this to stay at the level. Although I don't think he is getting the maximum out of his uh, of his qualities. He could do more, I think. But he's not that type of person either. So you can't change his personality. Like if they all had the mindset of Lukaku, all the young Belgians, like Januzaj, they would they would be brilliant players. Uh, it's the same, for instance, for the guys who are coming now, like. I'm going to mention Charlie Musonda is now sometimes on the bench for Chelsea, sometimes playing in the in the in the in the League Cup games. He's he's Belgium's best talent ever. Purely, if you look at at his physical uh, as it at at his uh, technical skills, I won't mention. He's physically he's quite skinny, but he went to Chelsea when he was 16, and yeah, he still hasn't got his breakthrough. He's gone on loan to Betis, where he performed well. Then started thinking he could be uh, in the in the Euro squad. He could be Belgium's next star, and then he got injured again. And then he, then he was sent back to to Chelsea. And then he didn't believe in it anymore, and he wanted to leave. And then Conte convinced him to stay. And now he's just playing a few a few games in the season, but that's not enough to develop. Maybe they have to show the ambition that, like for instance, Lukaku and De Bruyne had pushed for that move and go and uh, develop you, yourself somewhere else because it's really difficult for young guys in the English uh, in the English club unless you're talented like for instance Marcus Rashford when you just walk into the team have an immediate impact and have the right mentality too I think Rashford is one of the examples of a guy with a good mentality too I think so maybe they have to look at those examples uh, and for the rest of the year, we have no good defenders like Jason Denier, who used to play at Man City. He was, uh, he's always been really talented, but it's a matter of mindset and making the right choices in your career and bumping onto the right manager who believes in you too. So, yeah, and then we have lots of young Belgians moving to Italy right now to Inter. I will still have to see if they make it through the fir- to the first team over there because Inter is a buying squad, a buying club too. They buy a lot of players, so and Italy has not a reputation to to nurture youngsters too. So we'll have to see. We have a good young guy at at Stoke, but Stoke is also a Premier League club, uh, so we'll see if they get the chances. Like uh, if. 
I have to give the example of the right career path. I, at the moment, I would mention, for instance, Yuri uh, Tielemans, who, who was uh, best player, underlaid best player in the Belgian league and moved to a team like Monaco, where he isn't playing a lot at the moment. So he's struggling with that step too. He needs to adapt to, 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 to life in the, in the French league and, and, and with more competition too. In the Belgian league, it's sometimes too easy for all those talents. So challenge them and then made that move to Monaco and then move to England, for instance. Uh, take that step to Germany or to, uh, to, to, to France and then to Spain or, or England, where it's a little bit tougher. Okay, well that was fascinating stuff. Um, it's been a been a pleasure having you on the on the podcast, Christoph. Um, hopefully we can uh, bring you back maybe near the uh, the transfer window in in uh, January or, or or later on the season. Um, but it was great insights into some of the biggest names in the in the Premier League. Duncan, thank you again as always. Um, and thanks to everyone for who listened. This has been the Transfer Window podcast. It's available on iTunes and on Audio Boom and another uh, a number, excuse me, of, of other platforms. Just have a look, and I'm sure you'll find it. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.